0: Welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown town Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. Today I'm joined by Mike Alback, the owner of Proletariat Pizza in White Center. Yeah, Mike, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into pizza making and owning a, a pizzeria?
1: Sure, uh, I've been, my wife and I've been living in West Seattle since 2003. We bought our house down in the south end of West Seattle. And uh, we kind of wanted to take the leap into opening our own business. Uh, it, there was a lot of different variations that it took. My wife was a hairstylist before we opened, so we were thinking about doing something like that. And we had almost started a hair salon from scratch. We had almost bought a hair salon. We had taken 50 grand out of our house. as like a HELOC, mm-hmm. and we we're gonna start something. And then Full Tilt opened in White Center. Started talking to Justin, who owns Full Tilt. Yep. And really was just a huge inspiration. Right around that same time, Zippy's opened up as well at 16th and Holden. And we met Blaine as well. And just the how those two guys opened up in the area really gave us some inspiration. Sure. And then Justin was finally the one that he... We were talking about opening a sandwich shop. And in talking to Justin, getting to know him, he actually suggested opening a pizza place. And I, I think that there had been some studies at some point that mm-hmm. said like what the neighborhood wanted. Like they'd done some surveys, maybe sure. through the CDA or something. And one of the top ones was a pizza place. Okay. And so we decided to dive into it. And we were just kind of we were home cooks. We didn't have a, ton, a huge budget for opening something. Yeah. Um, but White Center seemed like a place where kind of that bootstrapper mentality could work. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we found a bakery that we bought the assets of, uh, and in there, uh, I was funny, it's like, I was in telecommunications mm-hmm. and my wife wanted to get me out of there. Like, okay. I think it's one of those things that I didn't realize I wasn't that happy, but yeah. my wife could see it. Okay. And so we were trying to figure out how to get, like switch to do something our own. Okay. And, uh, I had some pretty heavy, uh, what do you call it? Like, uh. I had a couple things that I wanted there to be in a space. If we found a space that, so we didn't have to pay for them. So I wanted there to be a hood. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be in that main strip of White Center between Sixteenth right. and Ninety Eighth. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, between Roxbury and Ninety Eighth yep. on Sixteenth. Yep. Um, and nothing was available when we first started looking. But then at some point, the bakery came up for sale. Mm-hmm. And in the first two years that we were open, I was still working at AT and T Wireless. Mm-hmm. And just making it work. The plan was to be there for six months, okay. have them overlap by six months, and then that turned into two years before we could finally like step away and make sure it work.
0: Sure. Yeah, the uh, b- being in telecommunications and then kind of the a restaurateur is quite different there. How did you get into telecommunications? Even
1: telecommunications, I kind of felt like I fell into it. Yeah. I I went to school for drafting. Like even in high school, like I wanted to do drafting. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be architect at some point, but. Drafting and AutoCAD was what I was really into and okay. I went to a technical college for drafting and did that for a few years after mm-hmm. I graduated. Uh, and then I had left the position and I was trying to find the next step. And so I applied for some jobs and and actually did an interview with what was US West at the time, mm-hmm. which is a turn to Quest and now is really... So at US West I did a phone interview, and even I thought I was applying for a drafting job, and through the course of the interview, just nothing sounded familiar. Yeah. And I was just like, (laughs) I'm sorry, but what is this (laughs) position for? Yeah. And they're like, well, it's like a uh, I can't even remember the term for it at this point, but um a CCT was the acronym for it. Okay. And I was like, all right, and I felt like I just bs my way through that interview I sure. mean, there was like stuff about safety i just like was coming up with stuff off the top of my head yeah. and i fell into this telecommunications job which was a union gig uh-huh. it was pretty sweet um and i was there for a few years and they had, they had hired a ton of people with the idea that they were going to have a bunch of people retiring okay and it didn't work out that that way, and I think the economy kind of went down a little bit as well at the time, and they ended up doing a big layoff, and I got laid off in 2003, I believe. And then, uh, yeah, then I ended up at AT&T Wireless, I had a bunch of friends that had jumped ship and went mm-hmm. over to AT&T Wireless, and I had some that got me a job over there. So I was working on the east side, and shortly after that is when, it was around 2003, we ended up buying our house out here. Okay. Just a couple of months after I got that. Did job. you grow up out here or? I didn't know. Um, from California, okay. one of those people. I was actually watching uh, old almost live episodes last oh, yeah. night and yeah. like <laughs> all these episodes about people moving up from California. So I think we were part of that wave sure. in the early nineties. Yeah. Um it was my,
0: popular to be hating on the, the Californians coming up, but Exactly. I, mean, I think there's there not was too just many so many of them. Right. There's not too many actual Washington natives, you know. Exactly. It's pretty yeah. interesting
1: to talk to people and how many People are actually not from native Washington, or native to Washington. Mm -hmm. So anyway, my family moved up, I think in 91, which was the summer before high school started for me. And we moved to Linwood. So I went through high school in Linwood, lived up there for a couple years, I think, after high school. And I kind of couldn't get away fast enough after that. And (laughs) I would be happy not going back as well. Sure, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, just all the strip malls and 99, the traffic on 99, Just it's it's just different than down here. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, so you're from, from California, moved up here
0: in the uh, early 90s. Uh, did you meet your wife up here? Or?
1: Yeah, so oddly enough, my wife is also from California. Okay. I think uh, she's one year younger than me. Her family moved up one year later than our family, mm-hmm. um, and they were on the east side, and Actually, I guess part of me leaving Linwood was a breakup with a girlfriend, and I moved in with some friends in Renton, mm-hmm. and my wife, Stephanie, was a mutual friend of those friends. Okay. So we met through that, and then she lived on Capitol Hill, which seemed incredibly cool at the time to me. So then sure. I moved to Capitol Hill. Kind of urbanite. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we lived up there. We had separate apartments for a little bit, but then ended up moving in together on Capitol mm-hmm. Hill. And then, you know, we made that decision that we wanted to buy a house, and that's when we moved to West Seattle. Okay. And that was and actually before we were married, okay. um, before we had kids. Gotcha.
0: Okay. And uh, so it sounds like you knew Justin, were friends with Justin, and when he opened up Full Tilt, that it was kind of an impetus, kind of a prompting to want to do the same thing?
1: Actually, it's, uh, no, it's not quite right. Um right. So we, we'd we had our house for a while and, you know, we drive through White Center and always just kind of wanted something to be there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't there yet. You know, okay. like there's taco trucks, there's spa restaurants, go to McClendon's all the time. And then oddly enough, I didn't know that Full Tilt had opened up. I didn't know Justin, but I, I found out about Zippy's opening up. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Zippy's. And they had milkshakes with Full Tilt ice cream. And in talking to Blaine, I said, where's Full Tilt? And he's like, it's right in White Center. And I was like, oh, really? And uh, at that point, we had our first kid. So we started going to Full Tilt. Sure. And so it was really early on for them. Because they only opened a year before us. So this is prior. like, I mean, they must have only been months old at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So back in those days, it was, you know, Blaine was working at Zippy's all the time. The owner, mm-hmm. Justin was working at Full all the time. as sure. the owner, you know. Yep. Before that, kind of grew out of those roles a little bit more. Um, so yeah, we just got to know Justin and Blaine through going to their businesses and okay. just the inspiration of them. Sure. Showing us that this could happen.
0: Sure, well, that's awesome. What uh, I mean, what do you love most about uh, about your business now? I mean, I, I assume it's kind of transformed as far as you know your role when you first opened and. To, to where you are now, how, um, I guess how how long's uh, proletariat been around? Uh,
1: uh, seven years since September two thousand nine okay. was when we opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, this year we'll have eight years, I guess. Yeah, seven years. years. Okay. Um, you know the thing I love most, I think, hasn't really changed a whole lot, mm-hmm. uh, and and the the business part of it and my role there has evolved quite a bit. But I still like being part of the community mm-hmm. and and talking to the customers. Yep. I like to kind of be in that face. Somehow I've always ended up being the face of proletariat. Like mm-hmm. my wife and I are totally co-owners. It's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. We have very different roles in the business, but somehow it's evolved that I am kind of more the face and the person that just talks to people more. Yeah, um, Stephanie does a lot of the the back end stuff, a lot of office bookkeeping and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just the the chatty guy. Sure. And it's funny. I think sometimes we, we joke about it, obviously, but we talk about how that might have come to be. And Stephanie's job prior to Proletariat was a hairstylist where she had to be on all the time and talking to people all sure. the time. And where I was like kind of in this pseudo tech world where I was behind a computer. Right. You're, you're not interfacing not, with clients a whole lot. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We never talked to clients. It was more just coworkers mm-hmm. trying to fix problems. I was in a troubleshooting on... Networks type of mode. So yep. I, would, I would talk to different technicians and things like that, but it was never that uh, Talking to a customer and being on mm-hmm. type of role. And so that's when we started proletariat. It switched for us that We took on these other roles.
0: Okay um, Do you work behind the counter much these days or hang out there? Or is it mostly kind of like you said doing back office
1: Mostly stuff. back office okay. type of stuff um, and it it goes in waves, but for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah, we're, we're there during the week during the daytime both of our kids are in school now mm-hmm. uh, when we started our daughter was two and a half and our son wasn't born yet yeah so they were still at a point where we could take them in easily mm-hmm. now they're both in school so we don't want to go pick them up from school then have to go in to work at the pizza plate, proletariat so yeah we work during the day and then we come in Friday night still okay. um, still like kind of our most intense night so we come in and help out and it's a lot of like Shaking hands and kissing babies for me sure. and, and Stephanie's behind the counter um, and then the kids go off and play or go to the roller rink or something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah I, def- I definitely miss and, and miss just interacting with the customers more uh, and like we've actually developed friendships with some customers that's just been coming in for so long sure and gone over to people's house to eat or different things like that yeah. um, gone out to dinner just become better friends with people sure. Sounds like kind of like that customer interaction is kind of your, your, your favorite part about, about the business. Yeah, I think that's what's what ended up being for sure. Okay. Um,
0: what, what do you find most surprising when you uh, first open open your business? I don't
1: know about first open, but I would say like one of the, I guess it would go back to when we first opened. I think one of the biggest surprises is how it's evolved and, mm-hmm. and how it evolved from the beginning really you know, opening a, a business like that, a restaurant, we thought that we had our own ideas in our head, the direction that it would take. Like yep. we wanted to open this cool place that, you know, there's a line before you open and, you know, there's a two hour wait for tables and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But it just wasn't realistic with the neighborhood and what we had kind of set up, like the bones that we had set up. Sure. And it evolved into something very different that we like a lot. And that's just this neighborhood family restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um almost like something that you feel like a developing neighborhood needs is like that pizza place that all the families can go to. You run into your neighbors, Mm -hmm. you know, people come in all the time and then, you know, there'll be one table there and another person will come in to do a pickup or to eat with their family and they run into people that they know. Um, so I think it, that was the most surprising thing is how it just evolved into its own thing. Um, rather than us having this foresight and forcing it into something that I, I couldn't be sure um but i am kind of captivated by that idea too like that you know as we've done this for seven years and you go to other restaurants you realize that some restaurants it's a very clear decision what they're going to create from the very beginning right and it you know sometimes it's just this fake persona but that's kind of cool too you know for certain aspects mm-hmm. but um it was really surprising to us to have such a idea of what it was going to be in our head, and then it just kind of evolved into a very cool thing in its own that's very different from what we originally thought it was going to be.
0: Sure. It's funny thinking about it, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, uh, your inspiration for lack like, of a better word of, you know, zippies and Full tilt. like those are the places you go to when, you know, you, you want a good burger, or, you know, good ice cream, exactly. you know, uh, or a good pizza in this case, yeah. So, what would you say that the proletariat's known for? What, what kind of sets you apart? Because, uh, you know, your you're white center butts up against, white, you know, West Seattle and there's a number of, you know, pizza places. Um, you know, they're obviously different in their uh, kind of their feel and, and what they offer. You know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that going back to what I just was mentioning, I think that it is known as like that neighborhood spot and, mm-hmm. you know, even though it butts up against West Seattle it is kind of still just floating out there mm-hmm. on its own. Like we live technically in West Seattle, uh, an area of West Seattle that I don't think a lot of West Seattleites consider West Seattle, but yeah. white center happens to be the closest commercial area to where we live. Right. Um, so I think it is kind of known as that it is that neighborhood place is something that it's, it's best known for. And then also just the pizza, I think the pizza kind of stands on its own. Yeah. Like we've, somehow, some way created like this great product, um, that is not only your neighborhood pizza place, but it is also a destination for others. Um, I mean, there are people coming all the way from Admiral or, Mm -hmm. um, the, the heart of the junction to come down on a regular basis. And we even have a couple customers that maybe lived out here before that come from Capitol Hill or things like that. Um, there's even a family that i know of specifically that comes from ballard mm-hmm. uh, for pizza that's quite the trick and, in seattle terms yeah yeah exactly <laughs> totally i mean and we do that i mean you don't expect everybody else to do that but i mean we're sure, yeah. pretty into food so if there's a restaurant that we want to go to even if it's across town like we yeah. figure out the way that it's going to work for us to go there um and like that family from ballard it was interesting it's, it evolved the first time they came in i was just chatting with them and it was more of like a lunchtime on the weekend type of thing mm-hmm. And somehow I was chatting with them, came out that they're from Ballard, but they were there because they went roller skating. Mm-hmm. So they went to the roller rink and then decided to get lunch. And then it was like maybe a week or two weeks later and they were there again. And I was like, oh, where do you guys go roller skating again? They're like, no, we were just, we went to Vashon. And then so we decided to come over. Like after we got off the fair, we just came up the street and mm-hmm. came here. Like, oh, that's cool. And then like. I mean, two weeks four weeks later they were there again and I was like oh what was it this weekend and I'm like oh we just came down for pizza this week <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. uh, so yeah some of that stuff's pretty cool to like just like see that yeah. evolution and, and again just meeting people that come in
0: sure that's great um, speaking of the, the, the food itself the pizza itself what would you say the style uh, of the of the pizza is you
1: know? uh, it's definitely what well, we've always said is just a, it's a thin crust mm-hmm. um we never like saying like it's New York style or anything, because then you just get too many people saying like, I'm from New York. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> too many people just trying to compare it directly. Sure. sure. Um, but I, w- I would say with that, a lot of, we've had a pretty decent East Coast following for our pizza. Yeah. Um, so I think it's similar enough to what's being done out there a lot of times. And it's interesting, we've been to New York a number of times at this point, and, and I feel like. I'm not even totally sure what that New York style is, to be honest. I sure. mean, there's so many like wood-fired ovens, there's coal-fired ovens, uh, there's kind of that Neapolitan style, sure. um, there's Brooklyn style, there, there's a lot of different styles. And I think ov- overall, it probably refers to that bigger, thinner crust pizza. Right. But it's interesting because there is a lot of different pizza styles in New York. Right. Yeah, and there's a lot of them that have been around for a really long time. Sure. I think a lot of times it goes back to what their neighborhood pizzeria was. And sure. I mean, I think that, you know, this idea that you go across town or that pizza the destination is kind of a newer thing. Like, yep. um, you know, at some point you had your neighborhood pizza place, you had your neighborhood sandwich shop, and those were the spots that you went to, and, and maybe you, just, you thought that those were the best because that's... What you remember, it's nostalgic. Sure. I mean, it's like saying that uh, Dick's Deluxe or Dick's is the best burger. Like, It's probably not the best burger technically, but... Sure, but if you grew I up in Seattle... Yeah, yeah. I've been going there since I was in high school, right. and there's a there's a nostalgia to it. Um, and really, really enjoy going to Dick's Drive. Yeah. And I know exactly what it tastes like. Yeah, you know? exactly. Speaking of, did you vote to bring it to South End yet? I did. And I, I, I'm i on the fence with that because I could gain a couple hundred pounds. That's I true. That's, come kind of the, that's kind here. of the downside. I'd eat and there I'd, too much. But yeah, it's tough because it, it's nice It's to be that treat sometimes. Like, oh, I'm on Capitol Hill. Maybe I'll grab a quick relax sure, yeah. or something. Driving,
0: <laughs> driving through Wallingford. I better stop in. Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. But if it's there all the time, it could be dangerous. Sure. Um,
0: what would you consider your greatest strength to be?
1: uh I think right now it is kind of just that, that socializing and and talking to customers mm-hmm. and um yeah being that that face of proletariat a lot of times and it's it's that uh yeah that that face that people see when they come in yeah uh which is tough to step away when that's what people expect as well
0: sure uh
1: what what is one habit that you wish you had um not needing to sleep as much. Like, I feel like some people can just like function on not sleeping or yeah. just very little sleep. And I feel like I could just be so much more productive if there was more day or just more time where I wasn't sleeping, where I yeah. could be awake.
0: Sure. That, that pesky sleeping habit. <laughs> uh, what would you say that you're passionate about?
1: Um, doing things right. Uh, and I think, you know, something that I tried to. I mentioned to our employees and I hope they, it kind of sinks in as it's kind of that golden rule type stuff, like mm-hmm. treating people the way that you would want to be treated yeah. or, you know, when people come in to be greeted the way you want to be like seeing things the way that you would want to see them when you go to a restaurant, Yeah, you know, um, when you're eating at a place and, and you're ser- well for our employees, when you're serving somebody, treat them the way that you would want to be treated if you're at a restaurant. And, yeah. You know, whether that means being checked on more or being checked on less or, you know, sure. uh, your attitude and just when talking to them and just like thinking about that, that golden rule type stuff a lot of times. Yeah.
0: I think that definitely comes through mm-hmm. at, at Proletariat, you know, from mm-hmm. the customer service. Um, I mean, what do you do or
1: say to kind of cultivate that that internal culture? I guess i say just what I just said. Okay. Like if we're at a meeting yeah. and sometimes I'm glad that from a customer aspect, <clears throat> it, it feels like that because sometimes I feel as kind of an owner-manager that when you say some stuff like that, it's just falling on deaf ears as well. So sure. I'm, I'm glad that it appears that some of that stuff is, is how people are acting or are treating our customers as sure. well.
0: Yeah. Um, what have you found to be the most challenging aspect of owning and running your own business?
1: Uh, I would, I would definitely say it's employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and and we've grown from having just a few employees to having about twenty five at times. Mm-hmm. And even certain nights we have fifteen people working alone just in one day. So um just just managing employees, I think from our aspect, learning how to manage the employees yeah. and uh, just kind of give the information that we want them to have. Yeah. Uh, and, and spreading that information across 25 people without having a meeting every day or once a week or something like that yeah trying to figure out the ways to do that and and just the realization that all of these employees have their own lives and their own agenda you know they have reasons why they can't work certain days or they have their own life emergencies and things like that they're, sure they're not here for the same reasons that we are um, yeah definitely Okay. What What would you say is one
0: lesson that you've learned, kind of, from in in the process of learning to over- overcome those obstacles of managing people and getting everyone on the same page?
1: Um, I think we're still learning it, but it, just getting a lot more stuff written down. Um, you know, I think for a long time we thought we could operate without a handbook or operate without lists of stuff that needs to be done on a daily basis, um, and I don't think that. Anybody's being necessarily like malicious in, in trying to not do things. Sure. But they definitely need the direction or the management of like what what needs to be done. Sure. Um and what we expect, our expectations all the time, I right. think, is what we need to lay out for people specifically, or else they just they're not gonna know what it is.
0: Yeah. No, it's very true a lot of times as a new business owner you don't really realize kind of those gaps until Things start to, balls being dropped, you know. Like exactly, it's it's a lot easier to communicate expectations if they're written down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, even for yeah, even for that business owner, you true. you feel like you can be clear and consistent with that expectation is because if people ask you. Day to day, week to week, mm-hmm. it could change in your mind depending on how you're feeling at that, that time. Yeah. Um, but if you have it written down, then you can be clear every time that you tell somebody, and you're telling the same you're telling the same thing to every person that you talk to as well. Yeah, exactly. Consistency across the organization. Exactly. Consistency yeah. is so yeah. important.
0: In uh, in the past, what would you say is holding you back from becoming the, the entrepreneur you
1: are now? You know, eight years in. I think just that fear of failure, of. Uh, making that leap is, is tough. That initial, sure. that initial change is really difficult. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know, for me, that's what it was. Sure. I think my wife was pushing pretty hard for a change and I think she was the person that made it happen ultimately, but, yeah. um, but yeah, the fear of failure.
0: Okay. Yeah. that's, that's a challenging one. Um, what's, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Um, I think, you know, I don't know if it was like a specific piece of advice, but just getting together with like-minded business owners and mm-hmm. kind of in a way like commiserating together sure. and and sharing like your stories and realizing that you're not the only one, I think is, is one of the biggest things, um, mm-hmm. uh, for us. Uh, yeah, sometimes just like trying to find new employees or um, little things that happened during the day which I had a specific example but um, yeah just being able it's not necessarily a vice it's just more of like knowing that people are going through the same exact thing that you are sure. is pretty comforting I guess sure Is that mostly
0: happened just from like getting to know into Justin and, and stuff where you're like part of actual business owner organization? no I think it's
1: just getting to know different people and it's even unfortunately I don't talk to Justin or Blaine as much as I want to but Oddly enough, we've gotten to know other business owners, you know, there's Mm -hmm. some new ones in White Center like John and Vanessa that own Noble Barton, or we've gotten to know uh, a few people that own other restaurants or chefs at other restaurants. Right. And just being able to kind of hang out with like-minded people that that have the same issues that you have on a day-to-day basis. Right. Right is pretty comforting sometimes yeah
0: you, you, you realize you're not you're not crazy not the only one going through it yeah exactly yeah. And, if, and if you're lucky there's a couple years ahead of you you can be like what, <laughs> what do you do when you hit yeah, this yeah exactly <laughs> there's definitely a
1: lot of that we yeah. definitely have a couple go-tos that we're like okay we're thinking about doing this or we have this situation right if you're lucky how, like, how do you what guys handle that yeah don't do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, what's a, a personal habit that you think contributes to your success
1: Uh think again just like wanting to do things right uh wanting to serve a good product we're not trying to just slam out cheap food and make money like we want to we want to give a consistent product Mm want to provide good ingredients um like an overall good product to the customers
0: yeah uh do you listen to podcasts i don't okay no well i won't ask you what your favorite ones are (laughs) probably
1: Seatown
0: um, well yeah, you know, it wouldn't take long to get but, through all the episodes but, yeah uh, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners what would it be?
1: Um, I think it would seem kind of cliche but I think the Anthony Bourdain like his uh, I can't even unfortunately I can't even think of the name of it, like the first one that he wrote but again I'm, just, I'm not a huge reader mm-hmm. But the Bourdain books and then the Bukowski stuff is like the stuff that's more my wheelhouse of reading, I guess.
0: Okay. Uh what uh, who who's Bukowski?
1: Uh he was a poet, um, but then a uh, writer, but he was a uh, pretty bad alcoholic and
0: What? A writer it's a bad alcoholic Yeah. <laughs> no way.
1: <what? laughs> I don't know. It's definitely entertaining. I think it's like yeah. kind of men's Writing, I guess I don't know how to better put it, but it's interesting because he was he was a poet And it seemed like he could just not That stuff out just, you know, being drunk at the typewriter Mm -hmm. at night Um, But then he he wrote a few novels And I think even at least a couple have been turned into movies factotum uh, was one of his uh, novels turned into a movie Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I don't know. I enjoy his stuff quite a bit.
0: Okay. Um, as we wrap up here, can you share one piece of partying guidance with our uh, our listeners?
1: Um. I guess for for business owners, I would say just take vacations. <laughs> yeah learn to rest yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I think that that's part of the reason that we got into it was one I mean to just break off and do something ourselves but then also to have that freedom to be able to take vacations and, and travel which is pretty important to us yeah. and I feel like in talking to a lot of other specifically restaurant business owners that people don't do that um, sure I think just figuring out a way to get away for a few days or a week or more it's pretty important to kind of just rest and have that downtime yep. and, and completely detached from it if possible.
0: Sure. How have you and your wife learned to do that? I mean, I know initially you're kind of, you know, on 24 seven as you're doing everything.
1: Yeah, I guess that's kind of an interesting thing about us and how we started too, is that like I mentioned earlier, we, for the first two years we were open, I was working at AT&T. Mm-hmm. So early on, we never stopped taking vacations. We we would just close. okay, Because we had a stable income, mm-hmm. and I would get paid vacation time, we had insurance, like all this stuff, sure. from like kind of a corporate job or a big company job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we would just close the business for a week, and then come back at it. And okay. then at some point our accountant was like, so how can you do this without closing? <laughs> <laughs> like, because you're just losing revenue when you do that. Sure. Um, so yeah, then we, we started figuring that part out about how you keep things rolling. Sure. While you're out of in town,
0: I assume that involved you know having managers and exactly employees. And We're stuff.
1: still struggling with that a little bit. It's okay. just like um, the
0: manager aspect of things.
1: Yeah, just, just having managers that are taking care of things for us, and I, and it's ebbs <coughs> and flows. Like sometimes you'll have people that are really good, and then um, you lose them. So then you have to get more people built back up to where you want them. Sure.
0: That constant uh, cycle of developments for, for the employees and managers. And yeah, totally. Of... Great. Well, what's, um, you know, for listeners want to find out more about you or, or proletariat, what's the best way to do to get in touch or, or find out
1: more? I think the very best way is just to come in and, and try proletariat. Mm-hmm. Come in and try the pizza and check out the space and and relax and let your guard down yeah Uh, I mean let your guard down as far as just like not having to cook and hang out yeah yeah. I mean that's another thing just like we want you to just be able to have that little mini vacation when you come in like Mm -hmm. you don't have to cook that night you don't have to worry about everything that's going on at work or uh, personal stuff you just get to come in have some pizza have a good beer Mm -hmm. um, and just relax for a little bit yeah. Um, um, other than that, we're on all the social medias. Okay. Uh, well, not all of them, I guess. We're at Facebook and Instagram is where we're most active. Okay. Um, and then what's, what's the address? Uh, 9622 16th Avenue Southwest. Okay. And uh website? It is proletarypizza.com All
0: right. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate your time.
1: It's, uh, thank you.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah, no Alright. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of the seatown town Podcast. Make sure to check out our guest's website, support what they're doing, and show them some love. If you liked what you heard on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more about me and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com. Today's intro and outro music is courtesy of the Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes Store. Seatown podcast creator and host is Christian Harris. This has been a Seatown Media Productions.